Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like school districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice, curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poteaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi everyone, welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company Podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, 
A teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Welcome back to another episode of Special Education Advocacy with Ashley Barlow. I'm Ashley Barlow and I'm so happy you're here. If you're watching on YouTube, sometimes we talk about the background. I'm in a hotel in Tampa and I will tell you a funny story. So we are here for a swim meet for Griffin and we are heading on spring break from here. Um, and we thought that we were only going to be here until a certain day and then he ended up getting an award. So we stayed another day, which was fun and it was great, except we needed a hotel for the next night, for the last night of this day. Um, and we didn't want to Uber. Well, I didn't want to Uber. I think Brandon would have Ubered. Um, and so, we have been getting around town on these, you know, the bike share things. Like in Cincinnati, they're called red bikes or um, there's those bird scooters, you know, the bike share things. And so we went about a mile, maybe a little more, on bike share bikes with our suitcases trailing behind us. And I got to ride second in the line. And so I got to see everybody's reaction to Brandon riding through St. Petersburg, Florida with a suitcase trailing behind a bike, which was funny. So today we are going to talk about lessons that I have learned in my advocacy practice and lessons that I have learned advocating for many things, various things in my everyday life. So lessons that I have learned in advocacy. And you know, I think about advocacy day in and day out because it's my job. But so many times in my non-job life experiences, I think, oh, this is exactly what we do in special education. I totally get this, I totally know this. I mean, I could be watching somebody on the Today Show. I could be reading a self-help book. I could be watching people on the street. I could be talking to a friend about cooking. And somehow it ties back into, yeah, totally. That's how we do it in special education advocacy. And so kind of the theme of today's podcast is the stuff that works in your everyday life, that can work in your advocacy. The stuff that you do that draws people together, that forms teams, that um, gets collaboration, that is what can work on your IEP teams. And so I have three kind of themes, three lessons that I have learned in my life. And um, I'm gonna tell you, you know, kind of how it has applied to like an everyday lesson and then how it has applied to special education advocacy. So my life, I always tell my clients, I have had a lot of perspective building opportunities, a lot of um, things that have kind of shaped our values and formed the interests that we have in our family. So of course we have Jack who has Down syndrome. Um, if you have listened to um, the podcast for a while, you also know that I was injured pretty significantly when I was 15 years old um, and I have chronic pain. So not only 
did I get hurt, which was a life-changing experience. I broke my back in a wave runner explosion, if you are new around here. Um, but I also had the mental health component to that. I have chronic PTSD. It just stuck around. Usually it doesn't, but for me, it stuck around. Um, and my husband has had cancer. So we have had a lot of different opportunities to kind of like really big, um, kind of focus in on our family's values and on what's important. And from that, one lesson that I have learned that I'm not gonna talk about today, but from one lesson that I've learned is I always say if the four of us are okay, life is good. If the four people in our little family are okay, then we are not going to sweat any of the other small stuff. Now, if everything's like really good, let's keep chipping away and making the world a better place. But when, you know, kind of like crisis hits, I look around and I look at the four walls in our house and I say, okay, if the four people that live inside this house are okay, then life is good and we're gonna move on from here. So that is kind of an overarching lesson. But the first lesson I wanna talk about today is that change takes time. Now, I am not a patient person. I am not a um, rest on my laurels kind of person either. So when I see the opportunity for change and I think that something needs to happen, and by the way, I hate change. <laughs> Um, but when I see the opportunity for change, like something that could be better or something that could be different, I want to like totally fix it right now. And I don't want the process. I want the result. Um, I always say I'm a fixer and I don't really spend a whole lot of time in like the meat of the process. I just want to like do something, see if it works. And if it doesn't work, I want to do something else. And I want to do it really fast and change real effective change takes time. And I think the reason that it takes time is if it involves other people, you need buy-in from the other people. Everybody needs to get educated. People need more information. You know, there's all kinds of things that have to kind of build into this change. And most of all, if you need to bring the other people along and it takes a little bit of time to take somebody to the light, especially if they start off in the darkness, if they start off far away from you. So this week, um, well, a couple of weeks ago, I started working out with a trainer and I have never in my life um, lifted weights. I mean, I think I maybe did a little bit of free weights like in my early 20s because a friend probably showed me how to or something, but I've never really worked out with weights. I've done Pilates and I've done Pilates mat classes and I've done, you know, I swim and I have this new thing um, of running, we'll call it shuffling. Um, and I, but I've never worked out with weights. And I was teasing Brandon on this um, vacation that every time I look down, I expect for there to be some kind of change. I expect to all of a sudden look like, um, what's that lady's name, Jillian Michaels or, <laughs> or whatever. But change takes time. And so I'm not gonna look down and be like, oh, wow, I've got a six pack because change takes time. So in our own personal advocacy journey, we really had to advocate for Jack to be included, to have an inclusive setting for his, um, for his IEP. We um, had to advocate in order for him to not be educated in a self-contained classroom at a school across town. And so 
we advocated successfully for that, right? But then how do you get good inclusion? And I truly think Jack had good inclusion that first year, but we've now been in our school for six years and we have great inclusion. The change from, oh, well, this is what we do with, with kids like yours. This is what we do with these kids or those kids, or this is, this is where he should go because of his diagnosis and because of his test results to Jack is an integral part of our school. Jack is fully included in our school. Jack benefits from being here and everybody else, the kids and the staff benefit from being here. That is where we are now. But it took a long time because change takes time, right? We had to bring the other people along. We had to bring the system along. And, and when I say we, I really mean Jack. He was the teacher of everybody in this um, process. So his first year of kindergarten, we brought in an educational consultant because we were like, we need help. So somebody from our children's hospital, we're so lucky in Cincinnati, we have um, people like that at, at our children's hospital who came in and really offered some great supportive strategies on modifying the environment, modifying the work for him, etc. And then the next year, the teacher was really, really good at educating the other children. And we got lots and lots of good progress and, and lots of good social progress for Jack as a result of that. And then the next year we worked really hard on behavioral strategies and um, kind of meeting Jack where he was, but supporting him more proactively um, and trying to figure out how we could best regulate him both proactively and reactively um, so that he could um, pay attention better at school so that he wasn't as, so that he was more present for his learning, so that he was available for his learning. And then second grade happened and Jack had a huge maturity boom in second grade, but Jack was in a classroom and he had a teacher that just truly appreciated him. There's no other way to say it. And that's from that point forward is when things, the unicorns started to come out because um, that teacher and the children in that classroom, they just knew exactly what he needed. They knew exactly what um, he wanted um, and it really, really worked. But we were there for kindergarten, kindergarten and first grade and probably a whole quarter of second grade before that happened, at least three years before we got to the unicorns. And believe me, it wasn't all unicorns the whole time. So where are we now? He gets beautiful modified work, including modified tests, modified study guides. He is taking fifth grade tests. He gets letter grades, which is just bonkers. Is is from where we started to where we are now is so so exciting. And I truly did not think that that was going to happen. Um, he has wonderful communication that happens between his entire team. So parents to teachers, teachers to teachers, teachers to aides, aides to parents, the whole communication network works so well to benefit him and to make sure that we are all supporting him um, in his learning and in his behavior and his entire school community and home lives. 
The community in his actual resource room where he goes for some of his specially designed instruction is also really quite beautiful. The teacher, the aides, and the other children that are in there when he is in there, they have so much fun. So much fun, in fact, that Jack, who had never really talked about this, um, was talking about his middle school transition and he he does tease that he would prefer to not go to middle school and go to the high school um, because his pseudo, his pretend girlfriend goes to the high school. And um, when he teases about um, going there, he said, mom, who's going to help me at the middle school? I don't want to go there because who's going to help me? So he, he loves that community and he is having apprehension about leaving that community. Um, and so we've got this kind of great place, but it took some time. Change takes time. Number two, you and seriously you can make a big difference by advocating. I had no idea that this person that I live in could make the kind of difference that I make at the state and federal level with my legislative advocacy, with the policy work. I had no idea that I could make that kind of a difference. I really had no idea that I could make the kind of difference that I am certain I have made in my own children's school district, but that parents could make the kind of differences that they have made in their school districts. And I've got a little list of parents that have done like bonkers, really great things that I'm going to share with you. But my policy work really taught me this kind of lesson because I'm a dreamer. I'm a big thinker. You know, I, when I was little, I wrote the essay that said I was going to be the first woman um, president of the United States. That's just kind of my personality. But I don't know that I actually really believed that I could make a difference, that my, just me alone could make a difference. And so when Jack was, um, you know, once I was far enough along in my journey as a parent of a child with a disability, I started to get involved in the um, legislative advocacy work. And the National Down Syndrome Society does, and you know, does, when you talk in present tense with um, COVID kind of still looming, um, let's say did, and I, I don't know, but I would imagine will again do a Hill Day, a day when you go um, to Capitol Hill and you advocate for the agenda of that organization. So I don't know, Jack was probably three or four and I went to my first buddy walk on Washington, which is their hill day. And it's a, it was a pretty, it, it was an incredible experience. You go, there's a reception the first night and then you do a day, eight hours of advocacy training. Somebody comes in and tells you how to be an advocate. And then um, you get trained on these specific legislative agenda items for that year. You know, maybe it's um, aging and Down syndrome and, and Alzheimer's research. Maybe we're asking Congress for more money to fund Alzheimer's. Or maybe we're asking for um, more, just more funding of IDEA, which I think we had on every year and we will continue to have on in the disability communities. Um, and so, you know, you get kind of the agenda. One year it was um, funding for law enforcement um, so that they we could do safety training for law enforcement to protect the lives of literally the lives of people with disabilities when they were interacting with law enforcement so you go to this day well 
Um, the ABLE Act, which allows people with disabilities to save money and to then still keep their Social Security and Medicaid benefits. And it's a very complicated structure. I should do a podcast on that. Um, but the ABLE Act, in essence, allows people with disabilities to still qualify for Medicaid and, and Social Security, but to have more than $2,000 in a savings account. And the ABLE Act took eight years to pass. Now, I did not advocate on Capitol Hill all eight years because my son maybe wasn't even born when it started. But I was very fortunate enough to get to advocate for ABLE at some really big tables because I'm a Kentucky resident and Mitch McConnell had leadership roles every year that ABLE was making its way up, whether he was minority leader or a majority leader. I got to be in some big meetings because I was a constituent of somebody in leadership in the Senate. And from year to year, I would, you know, send a couple of emails, send an update about Jack, send a couple of letters, maybe a newspaper article, but not a whole lot of interaction. And between one year and the next, Senator McConnell said to me, you know, Ashley, I remember you are in, and he listed my children's school district, um, and your son's Jack, right? And then he kind of like summarized a story that I had told him the prior year about one of my clients. I have permission to tell stories when I go on Capitol Hill. I don't just talk about my clients. Um, and I'm sure he had notes, and I'm sure that his legislative assistance helped, of course. But I felt like, oh my gosh, this story that I told made a difference. And they obviously did in this very collaborative way because Abel eventually passed. So then I, of course, said, well, I will help to get Abel um, codified as Kentucky law. And so I reached out to a legislator that went to law school with me and I said, hey, there's this law and it really just is kind of like the adoption of the federal law, um, but we have a federal law and all the states need to adopt it and need to develop their, their programs. And so do you want to sponsor a law? And he was a very junior senator, so he was looking for something to do. And he said, oh my gosh, this is so crazy. When I was campaigning, this woman on such and such street was telling me about this federal law that was probably gonna pass. And I have literally gone door to door on that street to try to find the woman because I have followed the ABLE Act. I want to sponsor it and I have to find that woman. She made a difference when he knocked on her door and he was just campaigning. You can make a difference in a really big way with just your day-to-day -day conversations and just your one body, one person, one family story. Just by telling your story, you can make a difference. So what have my clients done through their advocacy? I have one client that started an ESY program that now benefits over 25 children with a very specific purpose because the client said at a meeting, you know, we should do blah, 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 but in order to benefit my child, it's going to need to benefit other children. And so it was maybe a two month conversation. And that year the program was initiated and it has individualized components, it has group components. It is this really beautiful program that they had kind of dreamed up and it worked. 
I have another client that joined the Board of Education for their school, and this is a school that is a big deal. And they joined the Board of Education and the school's statistics, their, their state report card, so to speak, skyrocketed. Because this person's kind of agenda, their ideas, their big why, you know, for me it would be inclusion, just made the school skyrocket within like five years. Change takes time, but incredible progress. I have another client whose child actually went to an alternative placement and isn't even at that school, but the client didn't stop. The client kept saying, I really believe in this for your school. I really know that you can do this. And as a result, the school started a school-wide positive behavior intervention support plan. They bought a curriculum. They are doing it beautifully. My client reports back every once in a while to say that this school-wide PBIS is working because the principal kind of became a believer. The principal saw the light. So the, the only kind of word of caution I have about this lesson that I learned is that the advocacy has to be effective, right? So like you have to, you know, like I said about the Buddy Walk on Washington, you do a whole day of advocacy training on how to talk to legislators before you go to the Buddy Walk on Washington. And so I think the same, I know the same thing applies in special education, right? You have to know the content, you have to know how to advocate, you have to know how to read the objective information and how to infuse it with the subjective information. And that is truly why I developed the online course, the lab, because I know that parents need that objective framework of the law with also the kind of how-to nuts and bolts. How do I organize things? How do I communicate things? What do I communicate? What? When do I communicate? How do I work as a team? And so I think it's really important whether you read a book or you go to seminars or you take the lab or you, you get the advocacy training with the the content of special education law, the content of special education, how you actually teach, and the negotiation advocacy skills. Okay, the last lesson I have learned, you've heard me talk about multiple times, but it is what I like to call relentless optimism. The can-do spirit, the I am going to succeed and you can either join this train or you can get out of the way because the train's going to roll over you and it's going to be a happy train. This relentless kind of optimism. So when I broke my back, I woke up the next morning and my mom said to me, okay, I think it was the, like, I don't even know if she said good morning. She said, so this is what I'm thinking. You know, this is going to, this is going to be rough and you can either have a victim's mentality or you can be a survivor. You can be a victim or you can be a survivor. If you're a victim, people probably aren't going to be around, going to want to be around you. You know, because like what happened to you is significant. And so if you want, you can, you know, talk about how bad it hurts and how scary it is and how scary it was. And you can really worry about what your future looks like. Or you can take lessons that we're going to learn along the way and you can do something with those lessons you can survive in many more ways than one and i thought well that's so simple and who would choose the victim route <laughs> let's do it let's go let's make something of this 
And so as a result, you know, and I think I kind of always was wired that way anyway. She was probably tapping into some wiring that I already had. But it kind of stimulated this look for good and focus on what's good. Because sometimes things are just kind of crappy. But if you focus on the good within the crappy, your entire psyche is going to feel better and people are going to want to be around you. And if people want to be around you, you're going to be a good advocate because in order to advocate, you have to bring a team together. You need that teamwork. So when a helicopter is arriving at the children's hospital across, at Cincinnati Children's, we do therapy across the street from the main hospital and oftentimes helicopters arrive. And I always say a little prayer when a helicopter arrives at the hospital. Um, but one time I said to Jack's speech therapist, you know, oftentimes I get kind of sad about the helicopter because of my PTSD, um, but today I just had this thought, maybe it's an organ. And she was like, of course, only you would say like, maybe that helicopter is coming for something good. But truly, if I, if I sat and thought all day long about how terrible it was that a helicopter, a child was arriving to the, to the trauma bay in a helicopter, I would have a hard time. And so I looked, for the good in that particular situation. So what does this mean? What, how does this kind of translate into advocacy? I think what happens in advocacy is kind of similar to that adage that you attract more bees with honey than you do with vinegar, right? We can focus on the good and we can bring the people along or we can use the vinegar and people, we, we have an abrupt end to conversations. And so what's this mean? It means collaborate, collaborate, collaborate. We are trying to bring people together. We are trying to work together. We are optimistic about the fact that we are going to continue to work together. We are relentlessly optimistic and we say, no, 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 I'm not letting you out of this without collaborating with me. I'm not letting it happen. And you have to stay on it. You can't let your finger off the pulse. The school team is living and eating and breathing education in your child's IEP all day long. And if you aren't showing them that you are also living, eating, and breathing their development, their education, their community exposure, their, their activities of daily living, their independent living skills, their home life, their community life, if you aren't also doing that and talking about it, they aren't going to see the collaboration. You have to stay on it. Sometimes what happens is I help people and I bring them to an aha and it even happens after due process. I get them the thing and then the thing doesn't even start. I get them intervention. The intervention doesn't happen because they haven't followed up. Or I get the, a curriculum, but remember change takes time and change takes education and, and you gotta bring the people along. So the people are like, well, we didn't want this. So we aren't gonna do it. And unless you stay on it and you continue to cheerlead, it's not going to happen or it's not gonna happen with fidelity. You don't want grouchy people implementing it. So you have to stay relentlessly optimistic and you have to be like, yay, yay, this is gonna work. This is going to be great. You have to stay on it. You have to demand the communication, de demand the collaboration. You have to cheerlead. 
but the one thing I will say is apple cider vinegar <laughs> does actually attract those flies that come into your kitchen, those fruit flies. They're all over on bars. So every once in a while, you gotta be a little sassy. You know, you gotta have a little, a little zing to your optimism. You've gotta have a little like, mm-mm, that's not gonna happen. So honey works, but apple cider vinegar works too. I don't recommend white distilled vinegar in your advocacy very often at all. But sometimes a little sweet apple cider vinegar that they also have at bars is actually effective. So cooperate, use your parent rights, get educated, model the teamwork. You know the teamwork's possible because you do it at work, you do it for your other kids, you do it in your family, you do it in so many different areas. Model the teamwork, celebrate the successes. The successes are going to come. Okay, so our three lessons from today. Change takes time. You, seriously, you can make a difference and relentless optimism. I will see you next week, same time, same place. And don't forget, we have the launch of the ABC course coming up April 15th. So if you have thought about becoming a special education advocate, your chance to enroll is coming right up. I'll see you next week.